Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through His Word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today, Alan is with me as we're recording again in Romans chapter 8, but we're starting today in verses 26 through 39. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous recording. We've done two other recordings in chapter 8, and just to get the flow of the context. But we're going to start here today in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the holy ones, or the saints, according to the will of God. The whole chapter is about a life in the Spirit. And starting in verse 26, Sometimes, as believers, we have been adopted into God's family, and we know Him as our Abba Father. But sometimes we do not even know how to pray. And it talks about our weakness in the same way that the Spirit also helps our weakness. When we don't even know how to pray, when we don't even know the right way to pray or what is going on around us, this is how I would see this, that we cannot ascertain what is the exact problem or what is going on, and we don't know how to pray, and we have weaknesses. And then during that time, it is the Spirit Himself who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you think that um, correlates at all with verse 23, where he talks about we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoptions of sons? Is that, but this is just a deeper groaning that we don't even understand that the Spirit helps us pray through? No, I I think you bring up a good point because we're flowing within context. And prior to this, there's groanings about the weaknesses that we have in our physical bodies, that we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, a day in which we receive that glorified body. And so, yes, I do think it has something to do in the flow of thought that sometimes the Spirit helps our weakness. It could be physically. I don't think it's limited to our physical weaknesses, but that is the context. But when we do not know how to pray, whatever it is, that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So there are times within our lives, and it's not just physical weakness, but I believe this applies to just weakness in general, that when we do not know how to pray, that the Spirit Himself is interceding unto the Father on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. Then when we look into verse 27, it is God who searches the hearts, and He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because the Spirit, He intercedes for the holy ones. The word saints there literally means holy ones. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
something that we see very clearly here, that the direction of God's Spirit and what the Spirit is praying and interceding on our behalf when we do not even know how to pray, that this is happening within inside of us, that it will always be according to the will of God. And so we look at this passage and we understand that a life in the Spirit is always in the direction of the will of God. And when we do not know how to pray— Then the Holy Spirit begins to intercede, and the Father who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, and it's the Holy Spirit that intercedes for the saints, the holy ones, according to the will of God. So the will of God, as we are talking about a life in the Spirit, and all of chapter 8 is about a life in the Spirit, the Spirit of God always leads us in a direction that glorifies God, that is in submission to the will of God. And when we do not know how to pray, and we don't know what to do within our lives. Whatever the situation, it is the Holy Spirit that intercedes on our behalf. And we want to be led by God's Spirit, and God's Spirit is constantly saying to us, let God's will be done in everything that we do. So we look at this, and we must never separate the direction of God's Spirit from His Word and from His will. Those three things will always go together. The direction of God's Holy Spirit will not contradict the Word of God. It is breathed of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God will never contradict the will of God. And we see this ministry of the Spirit with inside of us. Verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. There's a great song that I love this song up until it gets to this verse, and it misquotes this verse because it translates it wrongly. When you look at the translation of this, this is a good translation that I'm reading. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. The song says, for my good. But it's not for my good, it's for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So let's look at this. We're being led by God's Spirit. We have a relationship with God whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father, through the spirit of adoption. We know that our redemption of our bodies is not now, it's in the future. And sometimes we do not even know how to pray, but it's the Holy Spirit himself interceding on our behalf, leading us in the will of God. And when we think about what is going on, we must have faith to know that God is in control. And this verse is so powerful within context. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. So if I'm being led by God's Spirit, I can abandon myself in the will of God not knowing what's going on, not even knowing how to pray, but knowing that the will of God is where I want to be, and He causes all things to work together for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. This is not a statement that is being said or quoted, or Paul's not writing this for every context. A lot of times I hear this quoted in a context, someone went out and lived in sin got their lives into a mess, but they say, but I know God causes all things to work together for my good. No, it's for the good of the kingdom for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So the one that is living in the will of God, that is being led by God's Spirit, 
we can abandon ourselves in the will of God, knowing that we are being directed by His Spirit, and whatever is going on, whatever persecution, whatever trouble that we go through, I can understand that God causes all things to work together for good. Yeah, and I think, Scott, flowing out of verse 27, the, the last part of that is according to the will of God. You know, so if you look at it in that context, you know, he's causing all things to work together for good according to his will. So I think, yeah, we've seen that. And you see that in this first used in the hyper faith and sort of prosperity, you know, teachings too, where it's kind of taken out of context and it's not necessarily, could not necessarily be good on this side of eternity. But ultimately, I think it is for our good, you know, when we get to eternity, if we're in his will. But, you know, you look at Paul's life, the disciples' life, getting cut in half is not really good as we would see it, but that was according to God's will in their life. And yeah, I think taking that in proper context is right. And I've heard this used also for people that do things that are wrong and, you know, and God can redeem and God does have grace and he does turn situations around. Not saying that he doesn't do that, but I don't think this verse is being met in that context. I agree. I mean, when someone has done wrong and they've walked away from the things of God and they repent, there is restoration. They may have to pay the consequences of their actions, like David and other people that you see in the Bible that truly repented, but really David's sin, the consequence lasted his whole life, and there's still consequence for sin. So repentance, God restores And God builds back up and reestablishes so much within our lives. But this is not a verse that is talking about that. This is a verse by those that are being led by the Spirit, and the will of God is always the mind of the Spirit. It is the heart of everything that we do as believers. As we go on the rest of this chapter, we're going to see that some believers are being put to death like you just mentioned. All day long, we're like sheep being led to the slaughter. So when we look at that reality, we must understand we're being led by the Spirit. We don't even know how to pray sometimes, but the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, and we want the will of God. Nobody wants to be put into prison for their faith or to be killed for their faith, but we trust God. We know that God has the last say in everything within our lives, and God's going to cause all things to work together for the good. Now, Paul, according to history, was had his head cut off in A.D. 67. Peter, the next year, was crucified upside down in A.D. 68. We would think, naturally, well, how could that be the will of God? But that's really what true faith is. The hyper-faith would say, well, they didn't have enough faith or that would not have happened to their lives. They're living in a, a world that's not even in reality. It's not even based upon Scripture. I hate to even use the word faith in association with them because true faith believes that, yes, God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and serve your gods, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that's true faith. The one that says, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside, we're going to walk by faith in the living God, we're going to be led by God's Spirit here in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to seek the will of God even when we don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, and we're going to rely on God's Spirit to bring us through that situation, and we're going to put our faith and trust in God. Now, that's true faith, and I hope everyone that's listening sees that within the Scriptures. So let's continue. Verses 29 and 30 are so important. For those whom 
he foreknew, he also predestined. Here, scripturally, predestination, which is a scriptural term, is based upon the foreknowledge of God. There are some that have gotten in systematic theologies that they're boxed in that predestination is based upon an arbitrary choosing of God. But here we understand in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and I think that you'll see it very clearly, for whom he foreknew he predestined. So predestination all the way through the Bible in the biblical context, is based upon God's foreknowledge. In the specific context of chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, it is based upon the foreknowledge of God. And I explain it in this way. Before God created the heavens and the earth and created mankind, he knew that Adam and Eve would sin against him. He already had a plan of redemption. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. He already had a plan of redemption that would one day come about because of Adam and Eve's initial sin. And as they sinned, all men have sinned, and we needed a Savior, a Redeemer. And we look at the plan of God of His salvation, it was already established before He made the heavens and the earth. He knew Adam would sin. He knew that Eve would sin. He knew that Cain would murder Abel. He knew that the people would walk away from Him but he had this plan of redemption. So when we look at the predestination of God, it is based upon the foreknowledge of God. Even when we get into chapter 9 and we start talking about Pharaoh, Moses did not go to Pharaoh and to trick him, to deceive him, that his heart would be hardened out of deception. He went to Pharaoh with the truth, and God hardened his heart with the truth. That's extremely important as you read through the whole story, not with deception, but with truth. When we look at the hardening of Israel's heart towards their own Messiah, it wasn't because Jesus deceived them. He fulfilled all of Scripture's in front of them, showing them that he's the only one that could be the Messiah. But their hearts, for most of them, were hardened. But it is a partial hardening when we get to Romans chapter 11. So with truth, God can harden the heart. With truth, God opens the heart. You and I are sitting here, and someone tells us the truth. We may react in a different way. I may close my heart to the truth. You may open your heart to the truth and say, yes, that's the truth. We need to make changes. And I might get completely upset and go the opposite direction. But that person who brought truth to us, he opened your heart. He hardened my heart. And that's what God does with truth. And so when we look at predestination, I grew up in churches that said, we don't believe in predestination. And I would say, but it's a scriptural term. They say, no, that's for the Baptists and the Presbyterians. They believe in predestination. Every Christian should believe in predestination because that's the Word of God. It's how that you understand predestination That is what is important. Is it an arbitrary choosing that God says, heaven, hell, heaven, hell? Absolutely not. The Word of God does not teach that. But the ones that he foreknew, like Jacob and Esau, he knew that Esau would not have any value for his father's inheritance and his blessing. But Jacob was willing to lie and deceive to have that blessing and that inheritance from the father. So before they were born, Jacob, he loved Esau, 
he hated. Based upon the foreknowledge of God, if he did not know all things, he would not be God. And God is all-knowing. So this is what Paul is saying. Let's read it again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. What have we been predestined to do? To grow and be led by God's Spirit to reflect who Jesus is, to be conformed into his image, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30 continues, And these whom he predestined, he also called. He called us. And these whom he called, he also justified. He he drew us to himself, and he has justified us and made us right with God. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That we are the sons of God by adoption, and that glorification is also going to be in the redemption of our bodies. And we see this here in chapter 8. Yeah, and I think that was a, a good example you brought up of Jacob and Esau, because only God the Father has the, the foreknowledge to know the beginning from the end. He knows where we're going to spend eternity. He knows how our life is going to turn out. And I think with that example, you look at Esau and say he's the one that should have the birthright in the natural. You know, he was a hunter. He was the man of the, the house, so to speak, at that time where Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. And then I also take in the New Covenant, you look at Paul's life, you know, this is a man that's going and killing Christians, you know, responsible directly, you know, seeing Stephen stoned. But God knew where his heart was going to be and where he was going to make the change. So I just think that's important to look at when we're, you know, sharing the gospel and whether you see someone and think, wow, they're just, their heart's so hardened. You can say, well, the Lord's hardened their heart. They're not going to listen to anybody. Um, no, we don't know that because at any point, truth can open someone's heart and the Holy Spirit can open someone's heart to know Christ. I think that's where, you know, Calvinism and some of these are wrong on because they say, well, that person is just destined to eternity to spend hell. They don't know that. We don't know that. Only God knows that through his foreknowledge. Right, and and I agree with that. Look at Jacob and Esau. Esau was a self-made individual that had his own family, kingdom, and he probably, really in the Hebrew, it brings out an understanding that the inheritance did not have any value to him. So easily he could give up that. And once you understand that, that it didn't have any value to him, that it was not is something that should have been his, but he didn't care about it. But Jacob, he was willing to lie and, and to deceive in order to get that inheritance, the blessing of the Father. In Calvinism, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this, Calvin wasn't the first Calvinist. It was actually Augustine, back in the 4th, 5th century, was saved out of a cultic group that had that view of God, that we don't have a choice in life, and everything is predetermined by God, and you and I are kind of pawns, and we don't have free choice. He rejected that after he got saved and later on came back to that understanding. And he brings forth a lot of those principles in the early 5th century A.D. that John Calvin later on builds it into a whole systematic theology about arbitrary choosing heaven and hell for individuals and that we do not have free choice, that even faith itself, we cannot even believe by ourselves that in God or in the gospel. 
So I do believe that we do have faith. Faith comes from us. It's with the heart man believes, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God when we get into Romans chapter 10. If that's not true, why do we even go out? Why do we send people out? Why do we obey the Great Commission if people do not have a choice? This is not a game. People are dying, separated from God. We have the good news. We have the message of God's redemption through His Son. So we go out preaching and teaching and declaring and proclaiming who Jesus is. God convicts their hearts, and they either open their hearts by believing in faith, or their hearts are hardened and they become closed. And in both cases, God opened the hearts, God hardened the heart, but he brought it with truth. But man has the ability to choose all through the scriptures. You and I have the ability to choose which direction we are going to go. Are we going to live a life in the spirit or are we going to live a life in the flesh? And so are we going to seek the will of God, or are we going to say to ourselves, I'm going to do what I want to do? So when we look at this, predestination is based upon the foreknowledge of God. Predestination is for us to be conformed into the image of His Son, so that we would be like Him, who is the firstborn among many brethren, so that we would reflect His character as we trust in Him, as we are conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be His disciples. He is the firstborn among many brethren. So that's a lot that we're talking about here. And you talked about Paul. Let me say about Paul. Paul understood the grace of God in such a way because he was out actually locking up Jewish believers, putting them in prison, believers in Jesus Christ. He's going after them. He has killed some of them. He's responsible for the death of some of these Jewish believers. They were known as people of the way. Galileans, Nazarenes, they believed in Yeshua, the Messiah. He's going after them. If it was not for that light that came from heaven as he was on the road to Damascus, he might have never had that opportunity. And he understood, I am saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And when that voice came, and it was the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, he understood that the one that he has been attacking is actually his Messiah, and he put his faith and trust in him. All the way to the end of his life, 30 years later, as he's getting ready to be killed, he is still preaching, teaching, sharing. He has given up his life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He is saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's continue here. Verse 31, when we understand this reality of verses 26 through 30, you bring to the question then in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Question mark. If God is for us, who is against us? If God is on our side, then who can come against God? Who can be against us? If we're walking by the power of God's Spirit and we're seeking the will of God, and God causes all things to work together for the good, for those that love God and are called according to His purposes. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, 
but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's going to bring a charge against me? Now, the Roman Empire may, the American government may, the Indian government. I mean, we're moving into times in which we're going to see persecution all around the world against followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But who can bring a charge against me, God's chosen one? He chose me. I'm God's elect. God is the one who justifies. I only have one responsibility in life, and that is to live for God, because he is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Not just the Spirit of God, the Son of God is interceding to the Father on our behalf. So therefore, why would I just think everything's becoming chaotic and what do I do and God, I don't know where to go or anything like that. We just trust in God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus is the one that justifies us. Nobody can condemn us. Think about chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and I love that second half of verse 31. It's quoted a lot in congregations and grew up hearing that, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? But when you look at it in the context and you go back to verse 24, where he talks about this hope and that we eagerly wait for it, to me that's saying, you know, like you said, we don't have to worry about anything and whether someone is coming against us. It doesn't matter because our hope is in Christ in eternity. Does this mean that if your boss is not Christian yelling at you that God's going to take him out somehow or get him fired? No. It's saying that even if that happens, even if this persecution comes, which Paul faced his whole life, everyone throughout the New Covenant faced their whole life, the disciples, the writers of the New Testament. But guess what? They're spending eternity with Christ and with their Savior, and that's our hope, and that's why God is for us, and no one can be against us. And whether this life is easy or hard, you know, in the natural, it's a non-issue because we won the victory. Like you said, we rule and reign with Christ now. We will rule and reign with Christ in eternity. And it's hard for us to get that, and I think even the prophets and throughout the Bible, our human nature can struggle with that. But if you just really, it's so simple that we've won, we have the victory, and whatever happens in this life is just such a non-issue because we have the rest of eternity where this 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, however long you're, you're given, is just such a drop in the bucket to what is in store if you follow the will of God, if you trust in Him, if you're saved by His grace. Amen. And we must look at the eternal things of God and not the temporary things of man. And that's really hard to do in the flesh, but in the Spirit, our eyes are always on the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. I'm not living today for a bigger house or more possessions. I give everything to God. It's His. Everything that I have needs to be in God's hands, and God let your will be done. So who can condemn me? It is God who justifies. How was I justified? God gave up his only son to die on a cross for my sins, not for his sins. And Jesus, Yeshua, who ascended back to the Father, is interceding for me to the Father. So when you understand that, the eternal things of God, why would I ever start to doubt the future? The future has already been established by God. 
What I need to do is to trust in Him, be led by God's Spirit, pray for the will of God in everything that I do, and we should never be afraid of God's will, and know that God causes all things to work together for good. And so whatever is going to happen, nothing's going to be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And let's read these verses, starting in verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Now, I want you to look at these things. None of these things is talking about our choice to follow Him. It's talking about things within creation, persecution, things that would come against us in our lives from the outside. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, I take that to mean that there is actually believers that are being killed for the faith at this time. There's lots of persecution that is coming against the believers, but they cannot condemn me. It is God who justifies And later on, this is in 57 A.D., when we get to 65 through 68 A.D., when Nero is bringing forth systematic persecution against the believers, he's going to put them on crosses and burn them alive. He's going to confiscate their properties. He's going to send every demonic force against the believers to try to destroy them, but he's not going to be able to do it. And at the end of his life, he commits suicide. So look at verse 37. But in all these things, which things? All the persecution, everything that is coming against us. And all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, through Jesus Christ, through God who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And you can take the sword and chop off my head because of my faith in Christ. My faith in Christ is greater than the sword. And I put my faith in Christ, who justifies me. Who can condemn me? Who can bring an accusation against me if I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ? There's not anything in all of creation that is greater than the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to say again, this is not in the context of you walking in faith and choosing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You do have a choice. This is in the context of all the demonic forces that would come against the believer. Even the sword is not greater than the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can kill me, but my hope is in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am saved and my salvation is coming. So live for the eternal things of God, not the temporary things of men. If you're living for the temporary things of men, you deny Christ and you go and save your house. But if you're living for the eternal things of God, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you follow him, live a life in the spirit. And when they take your house, you say, here's the keys. And You don't fret about the future. You don't worry about the future. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God knows how to take care of his children. Amen. 
And let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that this was communicated in a way that honors you and reflects the truthfulness of your word. And Lord, let it be something that is powerful within our hearts. Heavenly Father, it is with the heart man believes. And I pray from our hearts, everyone that's listening, that we will have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our salvation, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.